Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unk, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unk podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unk, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese, And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Beaujolais Nouveau. Yes. This one's going to be fun for multiple reasons. Yeah. One. Fun with pronunciation, which we've already had some. Uh-huh. French. Yeah. French. Also, I have heard of Beaujolais Nouveau. I've definitely had some. Okay. I was aware of its reputation, which we're going to talk about, <laughs> uh-huh. of kind of a lesser wine, but I really didn't know more than that. But I didn't know about this whole, like, day and fanfare and that it's sort of happening, like, right now as we record this. Yeah, yeah. As we record this, it is uh, it is Beaujolais Nouveau Day. It is November 18th. Uh, yes, we are recording the day before this episode comes out. Um, and uh, so, so I assume that some fanfare has occurred. I assume it has. And, you know, happy Beaujolais Nouveau Day to you, yeah. Lauren, and to you listeners. Yes, it has <laughs> arrived. It has arrived, which, funnily <laughs> enough, I saw in the background of a show I was watching recently, and I was like, oh, it's the thing! 
think it was a poster <laughs> oh. for Beaujolais Nouveau. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, funny. Cool. Synchronicity. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I had a friend who I had Thanksgiving with for a number of years, and she was very fond of it. So, or maybe oh. her mom was very fond of it. Either way, we always had it on Thanksgiving. Um, so oh. it's still a thing that I, like, kind of get excited about and, like, sort of, like, like I like getting a bottle and all of my friends make fun of me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's lovely. <laughs> I I like it. Um, as always with these episodes, drink responsibly. Yes. Yes. Um, and I did, as I was thinking about this, and um, I've been working on uh, something else about, like, all of the shortages and how they're impacting the holidays. And I just talked to my mom yesterday about all this. And I know wine is one of the ones that oh, they're sure. like, watch out about the wine shortages. So... Just to make you nervous about something. Oh, you're, cool. Like cool. wine. That was- <laughs> Happy holidays. <laughs> um- <laughs> All right. Cool. Thanks, Annie. I, I like new things to be nervous about. <laughs> <laughs> Just at the top, I like to put things that are on my mind. And in this case, it happens to be that. <laughs> yeah. No, great. Um, yes. Um, also, you can see our past episodes on sparkling wine, rosé, merlot, sangria, I feel like maybe there's more than that, but those were the ones that those I are, came yeah. up with. Yeah, have there been? Yeah, good question. That good question. <laughs> Listeners, let us know. <laughs> oh man, we really do need to do more grape varietals. Uh, we do. Yeah, uh, but okay. Uh, so does this does this bring us to our question? I suppose it does. Beaujolais Nouveau. What is it? Well, uh, Beaujolais Nouveau is a type of wine released the same year that it's made, uh, when it's very young and very bright. It tastes kind of fresh, it's it's low acid, low tannin, has a lot of fruity flavors like banana and strawberry. Um, it's often served chilled, and it's a it's a wine that doesn't take itself too seriously. <laughs> it's the chill wine. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, and it is it is released, uh, yes, with a bit of fanfare um, at 12.01 a.m. local time on the third Thursday of November every year in France. Um, uh, and this is marketed, yes, as Beaujolais Nouveau Day. Sure is. I can't believe I'd never heard of this. It's a whole thing. There's, it is. <laughs> there's ceremonial uncorkings. There's There's celebrations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> this this release, by the way, requires like a complex industry effort of of exports and imports and shipping because it releases at twelve oh one a.m. Uh, the third Thursday of every November around the world. Um, so right. so it it takes some effort to get there, and I hadn't really ever thought about that. Um, uh, and a lot of that effort is by air freight. Interestingly, um, interestingly because that's not how most wine is transported. You know, wine is heavy. The glass bottles are heavy. Why wouldn't you do sea freight? Well, if you really need to get it there on time. If you're trying to hit that 12.01 yeah. midnight release. Yeah. <laughs> People dressed as bottles of <laughs> wine trying to get in. <laughs> oh, I wonder with blue laws if, like, anywhere in the United States, I certainly in Georgia, I don't think you can buy 
wine at 12.01 a.m. most of the time. I don't anyway. Think you can. Huh. Mm. Anyway. Um, all of this means that it is only about two months old upon its release. Maybe three, if like there was an early harvest one year. Um, and it's not a wine that you really want to age. Um, its tannin content is low. Um, and tannins are the things that interact with oxygen in a wine, like little bits of oxygen in a wine, and develop lovely complex flavors over time. Um, that is not what happens with this. It just kind of tastes like vinegar. That lack of tannins also means that, yeah, the fruity flavors from the grapes and the fermentation are very forward in a nouveau. Um, some would say cloying. It's been compared to, like, bubblegum. Um, <laughs> Smithsonian Magazine once called it, quote, a moderately good red wine, comma, at best. Ooh. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> And I was like, ooh, right? <laughs> it's the at best, like the comma at best that really gets me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is, it is inexpensive and, and, and easy drinking, I guess you could say. <laughs> yes, yes. I feel like easy drinking can cover a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Uh, it is made in the Beaujolais region of France, that's uh, south of Burgundy and north of Lyon, um, uh, with a grape varietal called Gamay, which is uh, like a like a light to medium-bodied type of grape. And you can also make Nouveau-style wines with other grapes, and some winemakers do. Some are rather cashing in on the whole uh, uh, Beaujolais day tradition, but it's really just another category of wine, you know, um, uh, sometimes called uh, uh, vins primeurs or early wines, um, just, yeah, uh, which means they're released the same year that they're produced. And a thing I didn't know that's that's super fascinating, um, uh, the way that winemakers get Nouveau wines out so quickly um, is that they're not using um, the usual winemaking process. Um, they're using instead a technique called semi-carbonic maceration. So usually when you make wine, um, you press the grapes and separate the juice called the must from the solids. You discard the solids and then ferment the must using yeasts, uh, which are friendly microbes that occur naturally on the skins of grapes and that you can also add more of to your must. And those will eat some of the sugars in the must and poop uh, alcohol and carbon dioxide and flavor. Uh, but uh, yeast poop. I almost said bacteria poop. That's related, but different. Anyway, <laughs> um, this is not what you do with Nouveau. So, semi-carbonic maceration. What you're doing here is fermenting whole bunches of grapes, stem on and everything, by letting them squish and soak and break down on a cellular level. I know. Here's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Annie was giving me a look. It worked really good on radio, I think. <laughs> I, I definitely. I think you could feel the weight of my look. I, I hope so. It was very weighty. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, so when you put a whole load of grapes into a big old vat, you're going to have a few layers of things going on. Um, the grapes on the bottom are, yeah, going to get squished and release juice, which the yeasts that are naturally present on the grape's skin um, will start to eat the, the the sugars in that juice, and um, they'll start creating alcohol and carbon dioxide and flavor. In the middle of the tank, you've got grapes that haven't burst but are uh, soaking or or macerating 
in that juice, which is going to pull some of the tannins and pigments and flavors um, out of the grape skin and into that juice. And then at the top, you've got a layer of grapes that's steadily being exposed to more and more carbon dioxide as it replaces the normal air in the tank from the fermentation process. And this creates a really cool phenomenon called intracellular fermentation. And basically, enzymes in the grapes are taking that carbon dioxide and using it to break down sugars and malic acid, which is a type of acid that's found in grapes. Um, uh, It's breaking those down and producing alcohol and flavors with no yeast involved. This is wild. (laughs) I know. I'm like, grape enzymes, what are you up to? Why do you do this? This is so cool. (laughs) So yeah, uh, uh, once the alcohol level inside the grapes reaches around 2%, um, the grapes will burst, adding to the juice in the tank. Now this is called semi-carbonic because in fully carbonic maceration, which is also a thing, um, you would seal the tank, pump out the oxygen, and pump in CO2. Um, But Beaujolais producers leave the tanks unsealed and sort of baste the grapes in their own juices in a process called remontage. Um, they they draw the juice from the bottom of the tank and pour it over the top. So yeah, uh, uh, semi-carbonic maceration. You let the whole mess ferment for a few days. Um, in the case of Nouveau, like four to six days. Then you filter out the solids, maybe add some more yeast and continue the fermentation process until the wine hits your target um, ABV. And then you bottle it and get it the heck out there. Um, the whole process, yeah, it takes just a couple months. And it creates this super fruity, sort of floral, like bright purple, juicy wine with uh, with right really soft tannins and low acidity. It is meant to be consumed within like six months. I was just thinking about that because I assumed, and we're going to go over this, but most Beaujolais Nouveau is sold like now. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um yeah, it really goes pretty quickly. It's really rare to find bottles still on store shelves um even in like December. Like like certainly past December, I would be surprised to find any. Interesting. So like if I got a craving in May. Oh, no. Nah. <laughs> even oh. if you even if you could find it, you probably wouldn't enjoy that bottle as much as you would a fresh bottle. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, um, apparently that the that that banana flavor um, is really typical of that intracellular fermentation process that um, that I was talking about, and so it's just that process creates a slightly different set of of flavors than um, regular fermentation does. So, yeah. Uh, other types of wine from the Beaujolais region also use semi-carbonic maceration, um, but they probably treat the solids differently, like maybe give them more of a press to get more tannin out um, and might do the second fermentation differently and will go on to age the wine in um, wood barrels or what have you to create richer, more complex wines. Not all wine from Beaujolais is Nouveau. Yes, and that is a point they have been trying to make <laughs> with some success recently. <laughs> um, but what about the nutrition? Drink responsibly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we, we do have some numbers for you, though. We do. Okay, so on an average Beaujolais day around 2012, 65 million bottles would hit the shelves. 120 annual public celebrations were taking place in Beaujolais alone. Oof. I know. All right. 
as of 2012, Japan was the largest importer of Beaujolais Nouveau, followed by Germany and then the U.S. I think Japan is still, might still be the leader. Interesting. I'd love to hear from someone in Japan if, you know, you've experienced this, if you've gone to any, like, seen any fanfare. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I um, I saw a photograph attached to one of the articles I was reading for this that had, um, it, it was it was a wine spa and someone was pouring this bottle of Beaujolais Nouveau out into this wine spa. And I had more questions than, frankly, I could Google in that moment. <laughs> and now you're passing them on to me like the yep. thing. A wine spa? Right. <laughs> pouring wine on people? I Are you drinking wine at the spa? I'm not or is it both? I <laughs> don't know. Anyway. Need answers. <laughs> um, so, yes, anyway, in recent years, sales of Beaujolais Nouveau have seen some real ups and downs. In the UK, for instance, sales went from about 740,000 bottles in 1999 to 100,000 bottles in 2011. Oof. That's pretty significant. Yep. <laughs> yep. In Beaujolais, the region, Beaujolais Nouveau accounts for about one-fifth of wine sales, though, yes, they do produce other wines. And thanks to some wine education, export of wines from Beaujolais, the region, have surged by 22% in 2019. This was a real big push of like, no, we do other things. <laughs> it's not just this. <laughs> and yes, the pandemic has had a massive impact on Beaujolais Nouveau sales in the U.S., where they've plummeted 25% according to a 2020 market survey. Hmm. hmm. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um... We'll see what happens this year. Yeah. Perhaps. I wonder. Yeah. Next time I go to the store, keep an eye out. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wonder if um if right, like like less people were buying that kind of thing just because like they weren't doing Thanksgiving celebrations the same way, or if less was imported, or um, yeah, what the situation was. Hmm. Many, many factors at play. I'm sure. Yes, um, and many factors have been at play throughout the history. Yes, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break from a word from our sponsor. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nyx.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's K-N-I-X Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love 
sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford. And I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. back thank you sponsor yes thank you so again you can see our past episodes for more stuff about the history of grapes although we have yet to do i don't think we've touched on a broad brush strokes of the history of grapes yeah yeah we haven't we haven't done an episode on grapes yet it's one of those that it seems too big to to possibly ever conquer um it does we probably had to break it up by grape types yeah uh, yeah yeah and i am excited about do doing more um, great varietals like a uh, Merlot was a lot of fun to go into. So, yes, one day. Um, and yes, yeah, see other episodes on we've done on wine like Merlot to get more into stuff like that today. Beaujolais Nouveau. Yeah. Yes. Specifically. Yes. All right. Thousands of years ago, the Romans planted the first grape vines in what is now the Beaujolais region of France. In the following years, the vines were cared for by monks and later lords, and actually. This is one of those things, you ever have a moment where you're like, why did it take me so long to realize this? But I just I was thinking about how we still call, like I still have a landlord. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Yep. Oops. Um, <laughs> just put that together. <laughs> like the lord of the land. Your landlord. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. I've got one of those. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, most of the wine made in this region was consumed there or in nearby areas accessible by river. So it's very, it was a very reasonable wine. Mm-hmm. Reasonable? Is that a word? Now it is. <laughs> now it is. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> compared to other nearby wines, Beaujolais was frequently viewed as less desirable um, and less prestigious as far back as 1395. What? Yes. Ah. When the then Duke of Burgundy, Philippe the Bold, prohibited cultivating the Beaujolais grape in Burgundy because it was, quote, bad and disloyal. Wow. Huh. I know. <laughs> he valued it significantly less than the, quote, elegant Pinot Noir. But of course, th- that might have been less to do with the taste or quality of Beaujolais Nouveau or the Beaujolais grapes and more to do with regional loyalty. Who's to say? I I, I haven't asked him. I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> That's the one area we're lacking in, time travel interviews. Oh, man. That would absolutely be, I mean, look, there's a lot of good reasons to time travel and a lot of bad reasons to time travel, Mm -hmm. but conducting interviews and being like, no, really, what were you thinking? Um, Yes. And I would love, I love the idea of trying to explain to this Philippe, the bold guy, like, (laughs) look, we we do a podcast. Don't worry about what that is. But um, it's like newspaper. Do you have that? Okay, wait. Uh, Uh, Well, anyway. (laughs) Just tell us why you said this mean thing about Beaujolais for real, though. Like, yeah. not to press. Why'd you say it? <laughs> but our hundreds of thousands of listeners on Apple Podcasts, don't worry about what that is. I really going to no. need to know. <laughs> They'd be great. <laughs> Up our game. Uh Dating back to at least the 1800s, the Nouveau wines uh, from the region were a local and locally consumed product, uh, mostly by people in the wine industry, uh, growers and 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 makers. Uh, it was sort of like a like an inexpensive and unpretentious celebration of the end of the harvest season. Like you've just got done uh, uh, bottling all of this wine, most of it is going to set an age for a while, but this one is fresh and right there and cheers. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. When train travel allowed for faster, easier travel in the 19th century, growers sold Beaujolais Nouveau to cities where they became a popular choice at bistros. One of the reasons behind this popularity was, yes, something called carbonic maceration or semi-carbonic maceration, a technique studied by Louis Pasteur um, that allowed for fresh, fruity flavors. Though Beaujolais Nouveau was mentioned in the New York Times in 1873, up until World War II, the wine was for the most part only available in France. The paper would go on to call it a, quote, good picnic companion in 1955. The modern process of carbonic maceration as we know it today was uh, developed by a French scientist by the name of uh, Michel Flamsey. In 1934, uh, he was working on ways to preserve grapes and observed that carbon dioxide had this um, uh, intracellular fermentation effect on them. The first restrictions around the when, where, and how of Beaujolais Nouveau went into place in 1938. 
that was when France gave the Beaujolais region its own uh, controlled certification, its own like like you can't call a wine a Beaujolais wine unless it is actually from that region. Um, but yeah, those first legal definitions of what a Beaujolais wine was actually precluded the Nouveau style because no wines at that time carrying the region's name could be released before December 15th uh, on the year of their harvest. Um, that would change in the 1950s. Yes. In 1951, L'Union Interprofessionnelle des Vins du Beaujolais gave the wine its name, Vin de Premure are Beaujolais Nouveau, and designated that it be released on November 15th, although they updated that to the third Thursday after harvest slash November um, in 1985, most likely banking on people looking to dive into the weekend looking for this wine. Sure. <laughs> Early start of the weekend, Thursday night, Beaujolais Nouveau. <laughs> yeah. Importers were not allowed to sell it before then, yes. In France, it was called Beaujolais Nouveau Day. More and more winemakers got in the game in the following decades, competing with mass marketing campaigns and racing to get the first bottles to Paris. The media covered this race. They even came up with a slogan, Le Nouveau est arrivé. The new has arrived. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, um, speaking of Nouveau races, uh, there's also one to London called the uh, Beaujolais Run which apparently was started in 1970 when two wine writers made a bet about who could get a case from Paris to London first. Um, it's still going, uh, though it has shifted to be about who can get it there via the shortest route. Um, purportedly for the sake of road safety, <laughs> people yeah. were going a little bit, <laughs> yeah. a little bit wild there. Um, one winner in the 1980s took a dang Harrier jet like, this is wild. <laughs> Love it. Yes. <laughs> okay, but meanwhile, uh, work with carbonic maceration really picked up in the 1960s and 70s when this French chemist and a fourth-generation winemaker from Beaujolais by the name of uh, Jules Chauvet uh, started looking into ways to produce wines without using herbicides or pesticides or synthetic fertilizers in vineyards. Um, he's considered the godfather of the natural winemaking movement, um, and he was studying the semi-carbonic maceration of Gamay grapes that are used in Beaujolais. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that technique um, really influenced uh, the, the entire natural winemaking movement. And I love that this wine that is like kind of hardcore looked down on <laughs> yeah. by a lot of people um, is directly responsible for the natural winemaking movement. So that is really interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then uh, winemaker Georges Deboeuf, who launched his own label in 1964, really helped solidify the overseas popularity of Beaujolais Nouveau with his approachable and inexpensive wines um, and he also really pushed the holiday, uh, the whole celebratory nature mm -hmm. of the whole thing. Um, yeah. At their peak, these wines were selling 1.185 million 9-liter cases in U.S. stores. Ooh. I know. Apparently in France, at 12.01 a.m. on the day of release, folks would be pouring themselves this glass of Beaujolais Nouveau. Um, and some merchants looking to get some attention 
uh, would have wine delivered via elephants or rickshaws. Yeah, he really was like a big <laughs> forest find all of this. Yeah, uh, DeBuff's, DeBuff's Beaujolais Nouveau premiered in the United States in 1982. You've, you've probably seen the bottles. They're the ones that, um, that are printed with confetti patterns, or at least were for a long time. Yes, definitely I have seen those. Yeah. The annual November release of Beaujolais Nouveau's had a large, enthusiastic, passionate following in the 1970s and 1980s. It was in the 80s that Beaujolais Nouveau's became a big hit in the U.S., and by the 90s, it was a go-to dinner wine. And a part of the appeal was that Beaujolais Nouveau Day happened around Thanksgiving in the U.S., just in time for turkey-based holiday celebrations, At the time, Americans also had a taste and affinity for French taste, including wines. Sure. Um, And uh, and Gamay grape wines are a great pairing for a lot of foods. So it's not like totally off and weird. Like, you know, it's anyway. um, um, It's popularity. uh, Nouveau's popularity was ramping um, in the UK at the same time um, and peaked there actually in the in the late 80s. However... An influx of lower-quality wines and oversaturation in general led to a decline in popularity, not just of Beaujolais Nouveau, but for all wines in that region by association. Mm -hmm. Um, On top of that, American wine taste shifted to domestic wines in the 2000s. Interest has been trickling back, um, especially in Nouveaux made by smaller producers with uh, with more care. Um, in an interview, a winemaker working in Beaujolais estimated that um, some 90% of Nouveau sold is from big industrial producers. And speaking of, um, kind of like side note, but I found it super interesting, uh, those producers do have some power. Um, in 2008, during the economic downturn here in the States, DeBuff and its American importer lobbied the French ministers of agriculture and finance to move up the legal shipping date of that year's Nouveau because the the usual quick air freight is more expensive than the slower sea freight. And they were afraid that Americans were not going to absorb the two bucks a bottle more that air freight cost that year. Um, and they succeeded. So <laughs> dang, <laughs> just change, just, just going and changing the industry. Just like, well, this is what needs to get done. <laughs> Are you going to let us? And they were like, yep. <laughs> yep, we are. Okay. We've got to have our Beaujolais Nouveau Day. 1201. <laughs> <laughs> it's critical. Critical. Wow. Wow. Yeah, now I definitely want to research. You're right about the U.S. and flu laws. I'm just curious. Um, but this has been a really interesting and fun, fun one. I had no idea about a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. A fun, fun, fun reading for a fun wine. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm definitely going to see if I can, if I can find some. Um, in the meantime, I guess that's what we have to say about Beaujolais Nouveau for now. It is. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you, though, and we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. 
They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. <laughs> yes, I did too. <laughs> Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Dad deserves something really nice for Father's Day. But let's face it, we usually don't do it. Big gifts are for Mother's Day. Picking something up on the way is for Father's Day. Well, let's make Father's Day something this year with the Bartesian Cocktail Maker. It whips up over 60 premium cocktails on demand, each ready at the push of a button. And right now, you get $50 off the Bartesian Cocktail Maker when you buy one pack of Dad's favorite cocktail capsules. Dad will publicly love that you saved 50 on the countertop machine that crafts premium cocktails on demand. And he'll secretly love that you splurged on him for Father's Day with the gift of a Bartesian. Because the only thing that lets Dad know he's the world's number one dad better than a world's number one dad coffee mug is an artisan cocktail in his hand. Make dad's Father's Day and Father's Day cocktails with all natural juices and bitters without making any mess at all. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com backslash father to get $50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Artesian premium cocktails on demand. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with listener. Listener. 
party. (laughs) (laughs) Celebration. (laughs) That reminds me of that photo shoot we did. I know. Me too. (laughs) Me too. Um, Steph wrote, I wanted to write in about a very specific type of borscht that you briefly touched upon in your borscht episode. I'm talking about Hong Kong style borscht, which to me belongs in a category all of its own. As you noted on the show, borscht was introduced to China when Russian refugees migrated to Shanghai. When the Sino-Japanese War broke out, many Shanghainese fled to Hong Kong and they brought with them Russian food. There are no beets in Hong Kong-style borscht, though. Instead, it's a beef and tomato-based soup with lots of vegetables such as cabbage, carrots, onions, potatoes, and celery. This is one of the many instances where the people in Hong Kong took recipes from other, mostly Western countries, and adapted them to fit local taste as a result of its past as a British colony with a lot of international trade. Outside of this, Russian food never really took off in Hong Kong. So minor correction to your episode where you said it was a popular dish at Russian restaurants there. Rather, borscht gained popularity in Hong Kong-style cafes. These cafes serve both Chinese, Chinese dishes, and the aforementioned Hong Kong-style Western cuisine, which in itself is very much Chinese, much in the way that Americanized Chinese food is very much American. I grew up in Vancouver, Canada in the 90s, where there were numerous other immigrants from Hong Kong. At many of the Hong Kong-style cafes there, when you order an entree, you get a complimentary hot beverage as part of a set meal. For an extra dollar or two, you can upgrade to a soup. As a soup lover, I always went for the upgrade. The soup options were almost always a cream-based soup, like a corn chowder, or a tomato-based borscht. Because this was my only exposure to borscht for the longest time, I actually had no idea that real borscht wasn't (laughs) tomato-based. I only found out when I went to a Ukrainian restaurant for the first time in my early 20s, saw borscht on the menu, and ordered it just to see how it compares to the Hong Kong version. Up to this point, I had never had beets either. I'd seen them at the grocery store since I worked as a cashier at one, but they were never super popular with our customers. Imagine my surprise when I first tasted the earthiness of the beets in a real borscht and discovered the lack of any other vegetables. I wasn't a big fan at the time, but made myself finish it to be more cultured. (laughs) I've since grown to love beets, though I prefer them roasted or marinated versus being in a soup. My husband and I live in Seattle now, and my mom is still in Vancouver. Due to COVID, the U.S.-Canada land border have been closed to non-essential workers until August of this year, though the U.S. side didn't reopen to Canadian travelers until November 8th. We drove up to see my mom for the first time in two years this past September. The first meal we had when we arrived after the 3.5-hour drive was at a Hong Kong-style cafe where we ordered a Chinese noodle soup, a Chinese Western dish of baked yin-yang or yin-yang rice with pork chop and tomato sauce on one side and seafood and cream sauce on the other, and of course, a bowl of Hong Kong-style borscht. It was the perfect homecoming. Oh, oh, that's great. I know. I'm so happy to hear. That sounds lovely. I really want to try that. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it sounds so good to me. Um, as I said, I think Hong Kong is one of my favorite cities I've ever visited. And the food there was amazing. But I never encountered this. Oh, all right. Well, yeah. we'll have to go. <laughs> we'll just have to go. We'll just have to go. That's the only <laughs> way. <laughs> uh, okay, well, until we can get to that, uh, Emerald wrote... I have two things I must say as I paused the poutine episode, and I want to preface that I feel like y'all are part of the family even though I've never actually met you. Oh. Um, uh, oh. One, in 
Nance, Nance, uh, there is a poutine-specific restaurant down the street from my apartment that I've been meaning to try, and you have now pushed me to make a plan to have it tomorrow. I'll let you know how it goes. Two, I'm originally from Zion, Illinois, which is about 10 minutes away from Wisconsin, so I consider myself somewhat of a cheesehead. With that said, I will never forgive you both if you do an episode about cheese curds without going to Wisconsin. I leapt for joy when Annie mentioned the Mars Cheese Castle. It's 20 minutes from my childhood home, and I have fond memories of chocolate cheese. But I audibly gasped at the thought of you skipping Wisconsin to go to Canada for cheese curds. If you do that, I will literally hold a grudge towards you like Jim the Vampire did to Laszlo in What We Do in the Shadows. The blasphemy! I cannot believe that was even considered. Canada has poutine, but no one does cheese curds like Wisconsin. I don't even have a recommended place because all of them are amazing. You should just have three trips, one to Canada, one to Wisconsin, and one to France because it is just as good as everything you hear in stories. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of trips, a lot of trips are building up here. (laughs) Hong Kong, Canada, Wisconsin, France. Uh, Um, That's wonderful. Yes, well, I do love the Mars Cheese Castle. It was a delight. There were so many free samples of cheese and also Bloody Mary and also beer, which here where I grew up, that's unheard of. Yeah. Um, But it was wonderful. And I got a whole bag of cheese curds and I delighted every time I bit into them and they squeaked. I was like, (laughs) so fun. Um, (laughs) I hope your poutine experience it well. We don't want Jim the Vampire level grudge. Yeah, um, no, 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 no. Um, uh, that that's the hat episode, right? No, I wish. Well, well, no, Billy Bass, Billy the Bass. I don't know why I'm bringing that up. Um, so it makes no sense to anyone who's seen it, but it's Mark Hamill's episode. Oh, Mark Hamill, oh, right, is Jim the Vampire. Is Jim the Vampire. I had totally forgotten. Okay, yes, I was like, which grudge a- against Laszlo are we talking about? <laughs> There's here? many grudges. There- <laughs> There's many grudges. <laughs> But Laszlo gives him, like, a Billy... Isn't that called Billy the Bass? Talking fish? Uh, something like that, worth yeah. It's a ton of money, and uh-huh. that's how he solves it. But then, of course, it breaks, and it all falls apart. <laughs> um, but also, you get to hear Mark Hamill say one human alcoholic beverage more than once. <laughs> it's really fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I do adore that show. Deeply. Deeply. It's so good. So good! Yeah. Um, And we adore hearing from you listeners as well. Um, Thanks to both of these listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home? Take a deep breath. 
<sighs> and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.